2005, 215 episodes with nearly a week skipped. With me, my co-host Barry Rose from Plymouth Wait. Meeting. P- no, Jeff, not this time. Jeff, He's hold not on. Plymouth Meeting. Would I be your? Would I be the popular co-host of the show, or yeah, just the a popular co-host? guest host? Because <laughs> okay. you are the hostess with the mostess. Anyway, here on episode two fifteen, along with popular co-host Barry Rose. By the way, Barry, I should mention, along with you this week, we have a popular guest. Oh, oh it's Arcadian Vanguard. It's the magnificent one himself, Howard Baum. What? Howard will be joining us. Yes, along with Barry, myself. We will be telling tales of loots. They may involve uh, uh, certain uh, things that you consume. Uh, he may be telling tales at a, uh, at a school. He may be talking about a venture to a local adult establishment, perhaps. Uh, besides that, we will be discussing our Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame ballots. Barry Rose finally got a ballot. He's so excited. I can't even begin to describe it. And we're going to be talking about some other stuff. So, Barry, what do you say? You ready to go, my man? This is going to be a hell of a show, isn't it? Well, we try. All right. Let's let's do it. So, Barry, I just want to mention uh, I really appreciated all the people uh, in our group and uh, longtime friends of mine, uh, including you, uh, that reached out to me in the last few days. Uh, You know, we said goodbye to my dad the other day. I want to mention just because in my message to my father— that we recorded at the beginning of the last episode, I completely screwed the pooch on the song that was that you thought was a Jimi Hendrix song, which by the way was hilarious. Uh, <laughs> the name of the song that was my parents' song was a song called Mary in the Morning by Al Martino, which by the way, let me just say the very first Al Martino reference uh, in the uh, history of this fine podcast, Al Martino famous for what movie role bear? Oh my! It's the Godfather, Jeffrey. Of course, of course. absolutely. And Johnny Fontaine, of course. Yes. But uh, he did the song "Mary in the Morning." It's a really nice song. It was also covered by Elvis Presley and Glenn Campbell. So um, I did want to say thank you to everyone that reached out. The ceremony was uh, was very touching. Uh, got a little emotional at times. Uh, had some cries. Had some laughs. I was very fortunate. We had people from all over the country. Uh, my cousins came from New York from Texas, from South Carolina, all down to Jacksonville to pay their respects and uh, pay their tributes to my dad. And you know what's amazing? And I was asking my sister, I don't know whether or not this happens at every funeral, but you know, people that don't get enough credit and enough mention is the people that are caretakers for people at the end of their lives, whether it's the nurses, the, uh, the certified nursing assistants that come and they, they help the family when someone is in their, their last days. And there at the uh, the funeral for my father were three of the uh, the nurses that had spent some of the last days of my dad's life with him. And, and they all talked about how my dad had discussed his life, all the places that he'd been with my mother. And, you know, my mom was was sitting there saying, you know, when you get up and talk about your dad, don't talk about me because this is about your dad. And I got up and I said, you know, mom you guys were together for 70 years. How can I tell the story of my dad's life without talking about you? So anyway, uh, just a big shout out to all those uh, that were able to attend the service uh, that I know that that listen to our show occasionally and to all the people in the brothership and uh, that listen to this podcast for uh, sending along their, their well wishes and their greetings. You know, I, I was mentioning before we started recording Barry, in Lutz, uh, at one of the one of the nights we went out and had dinner, uh, did a very nice gesture. Uh, he had the uh, the group do a little toast to my dad, and uh, 
I played it for my mom and my sister, and it was very much appreciated, Barry, and we really, uh, on behalf of my family, wanted to say thank you. Absolutely, and I, I want to give some of this credit to Travis Raines. I was, uh, I think I was heavily under the influence at that stage by what? 11 o'clock. Oh, yeah, well, uh, yeah, by 10.30, 11 o'clock on Friday night, and Travis said we should do, we had briefly mentioned it, that we should do the toast now, and uh, Travis said you should definitely do it now, and I was really happy, and, you know, it, it was such a... Uh, you know, we're going to talk about the weekend and all that as we get into it. But the response when we did the toast for your dad, and there was literally, there had to be 50 people there. I'm going to assume 50 brother shippers had to and be sisters. there. And sisters. And the response was everything you could ever hope for is the son of a guy that, you know, served his country, right? It was, uh, it you know, I'm getting a little weepy myself, Jeff. I don't know if you're hearing this, but... It was really a moment. And then you posted a photo, which was, I believe, yesterday, possibly the day before. And it was your mother and your mother being handed the flag because your father obviously was a career military man and uh, it was a military service. And you're right next to your mom and your head is in your hands. And uh, and having been in that same position that you were, I knew exactly what I was looking at. I was able to see it. And that is a. I got to say, of all of the photos I have seen from anyone that I know, that may be one of the most powerful photos I have ever seen. It is one of those that is, you know, and I, you know, I hope you'll always say, and I know you will, that you'll always save that photo, but there is nothing greater and there is no greater tribute to your father than that photo, Jeff. Well, uh, you know, as tough a moment as that was, I have to say that part of what was going through my mind at the time was we were at the, uh, the site where they were doing the uh, tribute and they did the, uh, the salute with the guns. And then of course, uh, in keeping with tradition for those of, uh, those of you that have had, uh, you know, relatives that were in the military, there's the presentation of the American flag. It's a very solemn ceremony where they, they have the flag, they unfold it. They, they, um, they grip it uh, so that it, it expands and then they refold it. But what I was going through at the time was I looked and much like yourself, I'm going to try not to lose it here, Barry. Uh, that was when I saw my father's name on the, uh, on the gravestone for the first time. And that was uh, part of what that image was conveying was I looked up and I saw my dad's name and, uh, you know, that's obvious. And of course my mom's name is there too, because that's the plot that they've, they've chosen for each other. But, you know, and one of the things that I was telling my wife afterwards and, and my you see my wife holding my hand and, uh, you know, my dad had had been part of her life for over 20 years, too. So it was very emotional for my wife. But, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about at the time, Barry, have you ever seen the movie Gardens of Stone I, what, with what is, Robert Duvall? I don't believe I have. It's a movie about guys uh, and, and women that do exactly what the, the, the military personnel, the, the Navy people were doing there. They go and attend military funerals and they're the ones that make the presentation of the flags to the surviving relatives. And I was telling my wife, I said, I, I can't even imagine what's that. You know, we, we talked about the people that are caregivers at the end of someone's life. Imagine, imagine just the emotions that go through you, you, you care for somebody, you start to get to know them. You know, I mentioned that, my father was sharing details of his life story with them. And within a matter of weeks, they're gone. 
And here, these military personnel who do this, every time they go to one of these ceremonies, they're witnessing people just grieving. And, you know, to be able to, uh, I don't want to say emotionally disconnect, but that's almost like what you have to do. You know, uh, it's it's almost like being a surgeon sure. and knowing that that you're going in there and there are times when you're going to save someone's life and there's times when you're not going to be able to. And having to just sit there and and move past that in a way. And it's very difficult, uh, I can imagine. And so I have tons of respect, not just for the caregivers, but for those uh, military personnel. In this case, it was, uh, you know, people in the Navy, uh, because that was my dad's uh, branch that he served in. So anyway, as we uh, we do here on Breaking Cafe, but not for my father, because we did that last week, I raised a glass and Barry and Lou, I hope you'll join me in saluting the caregivers, not just that attended to my father, but who attend to people in their last hours. And those people in the military that attend these funerals that make the presentation of the flags that offer the uh, the salutes with the with the guns firing in the air. And uh, I couldn't be uh, more honored to have been part of that as tough as it was. So uh, anyway, now, Barry, let's get back to talking about breaking kayfabe. Barry, uh, I know that you uh, you called me and told me that you were <laughs> very happy because you had gotten an email from Mr. Meltzer. Tell yeah. the good folks what you got in an email from Mr. Meltzer. How funny was that, too? So I, uh, for the first time ever, I have got the Hall of Fame ballot, and I am now— You are recognized! <laughs> it's, really in, it's really hysterical when you really start to break it down, considering what I've been doing for about the last 25, 30 years. <laughs> but with that, I think partly—I don't think he had my email address, and we were communicating earlier this year when Dave was on the show and all that, so— uh, so yes, I I'm on. I think what happened yeah. was David been reviewing your work for the past twenty years. <laughs> there you go. I said, ah, shut the guy up. I'll give him a ballot. That's so yes, let's take a look at the ballot. And uh, you know, it's okay if you and I have uh, some people that we maybe don't agree on. So the ballot is that is sent to you by Dave states that you are given ten wrestlers who are on the ballot that you can choose. They are wrestlers from uh, the past. Uh, like going back into, say, the 70s uh, and before, they are, quote-unquote, modern-day wrestlers, which I'm going to say is like maybe late 80s into the 90s and up to today. Then you were given wrestlers from Mexico, wrestlers from Japan, wrestlers from all over the world. Uh, and then, and we'll start with this, you are given people that have been on the ballot for a number of years who have not got in, and if they don't receive up to 50% of the votes, they are going to be taken off the ballot. So let's start off with these five names, Don Owen, Sergeant Slaughter, Jim Crockett Jr., Enrique Torres, and Johnny Walker, Mr. Wrestling Number 2. Barry, do you think any of those guys belong on the list? I do. I actually, I, I think that they all belong on the list. The only name that I would consider suspect would be Enrique Torres. And let me quantify that in that I would have to do a little more. I know about the Torres. It was Alberto, Ramon, and Enrique. He wrestled for years. He was, you know, they these guys were a top draw every territory they went to. The other four names, though, I'm very familiar with, and I would have no problem with any of those guys going in the Hall of Fame. Now, if I was to rank those, that's where I would find that more interesting, is how who was, out of those five names, Who's the most important? Who's who's number one and who's number five? You know, that's what I find interesting. So 
remembering that we can only have 10. Okay. Okay. And we have other, other people on the ballot that you might want to put on there. Give me two names from there that you would include. So out of the five or you, I'm sorry. Yeah. Is the, okay. Give me two uh, out of those names to save yourself eight from the rest of the list. Sure. I say Don Owen. And to me, a promoter is always an interesting choice because, you know, even though Don Owen, everybody knew Don Owen, he was certainly a celebrity of sorts within, uh, you know, the Pacific North Northwest, you know, he still wasn't an active in-ring worker that at least that I'm aware of, but you look at the longevity of that promotion that I, that was one of the, that I think in Memphis were the last promotions to go. And, uh, Don Owen's another guy too, that people love Don Owen. People first, people loved working the Portland territory and you didn't make a ton of money out there, but the drives were easy. Uh, it was a nice lifestyle. You could ask, you know, Cuban assassin who we saw this past weekend, uh, at the fan fest, Cuban will tell you that Portland was his favorite territory. I think Len Denton, I didn't ask him, but he'll, he could probably tell you that as well. I, I like, think, Don I Owen think not to inter interrupt. I sure. think one thing that people would all say about Don Owen is that you were never going to get rich work in Portland but you would never say that the pay that you got was not fair. Right. And I he, think they all said that. Right? Yeah. They all so said he, that. He was the rare promoter that wasn't trying to cheat you. And let's be honest, how many of those exist? <laughs> exactly. Right? That's my point. Yeah. Yes. So. I think, I think we can count, we can definitely count on one hand. And I, I think to that, I can only come up with three names that I think would be extremely honest and wouldn't cheat you possibly four names. There's a fourth, I think I could do, but, you the thinking Vince Jr.? <laughs> no, not okay. that. I'll tell you exactly what I'm thinking. I'm thinking uh, it is Don Owen. It is Giant Baba. I'm thinking Sam Munchnik, and I'm thinking Paul Bosch. That's fair. Yeah, the, the, all four names that uh, I, I think most people would agree were, uh, uh, for the wrestling business, were, were very fair. Yeah, and they were, you know, what I liked, you know, in Baba, I, again, I'll always do. Baba, to me, his business model and the way he ran his business and the fact that Baba would do a lot on a handshake would look you directly in the eye. And if Baba told you, you know, $2,500 per week, you were going to get $2,500 per week. There wasn't going to be, you know, and certainly I love Eddie Graham and I love the state of Florida and CWF, but there wasn't going to be this manipulation of deductions or something like that. You know, at the end of the day, you remember that great scene out of the Blues Brothers when they uh, they're finished playing at the country saloon? And they have to pay for all the beer. Oh, yeah, yeah. We just they, assumed it was free because the first one was. <laughs> <laughs> and they, I think he always doing the You math. boys drink a hell of yeah. a lot of beer now. Yeah, and I should say, of course, very off topic, as I always do. I got a phone call from young Zach three days ago saying, Dad, why have you not forced me to sit down and watch the Blues Brothers? It is now in my top five movies of all time. I will I will raise a round of applause to Zach for watching that fine movie, Jacob Stein, International Federation of Musicians. So, uh, yes, so many, so many iconic classic scenes from that movie. Uh, uh, how did you get on the Blues Brothers? After I don't, exactly. It's, well, it was the tab. We were talking okay. about. The okay, production. gotcha. In any case, Johnny Walker is the second one. So Johnny Walker and I, not a lot of people, everybody knows Johnny Walker is Mr. Wrestling too. I, I would imagine that uh, for the majority of fans, they're aware that he may have wrestled previously as Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker started Jeff in the 1940s. So when you start doing the math and you realize that when he donned the Mr. Wrestling 2 mask in the early 1970s, and I forget what the year was, possibly 73, 74, somewhere right around there, 
he had been a vet for some 20 or 25 years and still had a career that lasted another 10, 12 years as Mr. Wrestling too, and had great success. So when you look incredibly over, yeah, if you look at the career of Johnny Walker and, uh, the fact that, you know, his wrestling career was, you know, was 30 something years, literally as a top guy. The only time that I remember Johnny Walker, or I should say Mr. Wrestling too, at the, at the end, you know, was when he went up to New York and they wound up using him in, you know, middle of the card or prelim matches. But, you know, this was a guy that did extremely well. And even as Johnny Walker, I think partly the flaw for Johnny Walker was that he wasn't seen as having a lot of charisma. Uh, he was known as the rubber man, but you know, he always looked, he was kind of like killer Carl Cox in a sense. And Jeff, yes, yes, I do. Yes. I yes, love you do. You do. You love uh, it. I do. But he was, uh, he was just a guy, I think that always looked a little bit older, even in his like thirties, Johnny Walker looked like he was 50 with the bald head and you know, the Friar tuck haircut. So putting the mask on really rejuvenated his career. But when you're a solid worker and you have a career that you're main eventing or close to main eventing every territory you work for over 30 years, is there a better criteria for the Hall of Fame? So here's the thing of the of the five guys we just mentioned, Jim Crockett Jr., you know, he had some very successful years uh, promoting uh, Mid-Atlantic, uh, then promoting the NWA when he and Dusty took it national. But I feel like I'm always in my mind holding it against him that he basically lost a 50 year company, you know, and whether it was decisions that happened because of dusty, the fact is that Jim Crockett jr. Was the owner and he allowed the booker to basically run amok financially. And I think you have to hold that against him. You also could credit him for after his father passed away, some incredibly successful years and you have to give him credit for that. But Enrique Torres, quite frankly, I don't know enough about to sit there and say, no, I I don't think he deserves it. Or yes, he absolutely deserves it. So I'm going to sort of disqualify myself on that. So for me, I agree with it to touch on that too, Jeff Enrique Torres by the early seventies, I believe was done also. So you're looking at the bulk and I know he was in the forties, but you're looking at a career that would have been from the 1940s up until maybe the early seventies. So it is different. I always find it is, it is hard to compare a guy that might've been a gigantic star in the 1950s. So somebody that Greg good would have seen early in his twenties. Yeah. Well, twenties, uh, thirties, somewhere around there. Sure. So anyway, so for me, because I think Don Owen absolutely belongs in it's between Sergeant slaughter and Johnny Walker. So who do we pick between those two? Because to me, I've, I've always said that slaughter had a really, really solid run in the AWA is uh, Super Destroyer Mark II. He had that run under the hood where uh, he was well-known in the AWA for his bumps. He becomes Sergeant Slaughter, uh, gets over incredibly uh, as Sergeant Slaughter, and then he has the run up in New York with Bob Backlund as the heel, and he's super over, goes back down to Mid-Atlantic, has the incredible run where he's the U.S. champion, and he's also... Uh, World Tag Team Champions with Don Carnodal goes back from there, back up to New York, where he has the run against the Iron Sheik, becomes the American Patriot, leaves there, goes to the AWA, gets a connection with the G.I. Joe cartoon, and is very successful, sort of drops out of sight for a while, comes back as the Iraqi sympathizer, um, has a very controversial 
yet successful program with Hogan, uh, with its USA versus Iraq thing. Uh, so, I mean, do I sit there and say that is a more successful run than Johnny Walker as Mr. Wrestling 2? But then you have to consider Johnny Walker before he became Mr. Wrestling 2 when he was Johnny the Rubberman Walker. And I know that he had a run in Florida. Let me just ask you, uh, Mr. CWF Archivist. What? Was was Johnny Walker in CWF, at least, as the rubber man, was he a main eventer or a middle-of-the-guard guy? So he was that Chief J. Strongbow role, that Ivan Putsky role that we've defined before. Now, he had plenty of main events, much like Strongbow or Putsky would have had, but he was the second or third option as far as a babyface. And it wasn't because of ability, though. It was based off of look and charisma. Okay, so... Based on the criteria that I've uh, excellent word of the use criteria, by the way, um, excellent. which one of those two guys should I go for? Sure. So if you're going, asking me, I'm okay, please. I thought you were asking me, but go I'm ahead. going, <laughs> if you're going for Walker, I'm going to go for slaughter. Okay. So, uh, just because I think he had a, a pretty amazing run. This is in no way to put the boots to Johnny Walker, who I, I think had an incredible run, but so, okay. So those are our two choices on that. Now let's get to the historical performers. Uh, the historical era. So I'm just going to run down. I, I don't want to go too in-depth. Otherwise, we'll end up with a six-hour uh, podcast. So just give me a yes or no, and then we can take it from there, okay? Okay. Ole Anderson. Yes. Bob Armstrong. Yes. Hollywood Blondes with Sir Oliver Humperdinck. No. That hurts, Jerry, too, to say that. <laughs> okay. No, no, I know. Yeah. Jerry Briscoe. Yes. June Byers. Yeah, uh, yeah, yes. Hesitant, yes. Okay. Buddy Colt. Yes. Wild Bull Curry. Yes. Cowboy Bob Ellis. Yes. The Fabulous One, Stan and Steve. Oh, I'm going to get heat for this one. Nobody, <laughs> no, nobody's listening, right? <laughs> Someone hey, call Steve Kern. Somebody be quiet. I, I'm going to say no. Okay. Pampero Furpro. No. Gordman and Goliath. This one also really hurts. No. The Mongolian Stomper, Archie Gouldy. Yes. Rocky Johnson. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, if you said <laughs> no to that one, I would have really been surprised. Yeah. Sputnik, and I, Sputnik Monroe. Yes. Blackjack Mulligan. I'm on the fence. I will say yes, but I'm on the fence. Johnny Rougeau. I'm going to say no, but there's a caveat to that, but I'll say no. Okay, Sorry, the Jacques. Von, the yeah. Von Brauners and Saul Weingroff. Absolutely, yes. Okay, so now out of those that you just mentioned, tell me, because you yeah, you probably got about 10 in there. Give me three that you're most strong on there, the, the fact that they should be in the Hall of Fame. So Rocky Johnson, it's, it's obviously, it's always difficult for me to be objective when we're discussing Rocky Johnson, but Rocky Johnson, so the correct, and we went through this, I believe last year where I said, a lot of people actually said, no, he shouldn't be in the hall of fame. And it, I, I, it wasn't based off of a personal reason. They felt his career wasn't strong enough. And I believe our own John McAdam, who has a show. What's it? What's that called, Jeff? The show I can't on remember. I had lesser, lesser yeah. Arcadian show. You know, it's great, though. Every week he has a popular co-host on, though. I don't know if you've noticed that. It's uh, yes. But uh, so Rocky Johnson, 
was pretty good. That right. Every <laughs> Rocky Johnson was a main event talent in every territory he worked in. Rocky Johnson held titles in every territory he worked in. And as a uh, an African-American or actually as a black man in this country, he did break down a lot of barriers, especially a, a black man in the South, in the South. And we're that talking held titles. about, yes, we're talking about the two states of Florida and Georgia and Tennessee as well. But Florida and Georgia, the first black Florida champion, the first black Georgia champion, you know, Rocky held these titles and there was a reason he was charismatic. He was at his height was a, an, a fantastic worker. The knock on Rocky, which his, his wife used to say added Johnson was Rocky can be as good as anybody. Rocky is lazy. There is times Rocky gets out there and just doesn't. And she actually as a kid even told me that, which <laughs> I saw. So yeah, you know, it's honest, right? Which well, is, uh, and, and you know, I'm going to, I'm going to use an expression that is an expression from back in the day. And it's a very, uh, it's a horrible expression, but there were black wrestlers that used to uh, occupy what was called a step and fetch it uh, oh, a role. Okay. Absolutely. Yep. And Rocky Johnson absolutely wasn't one of those guys. He did not do the, the, the characterization of a, of a black, black guy, you know, uh, with the, uh, oh, show enough boss. He did not do that. And absolutely to his credit, he was out there as a, a black man who was a wrestler. He was a boxer. They put over that he had sparred with, was it Foreman or Ali that he sparred with? It was, well, there are photos. He, he says he said Ali, but there are actually photos of him sparring with Foreman that are out there. Okay. So, you know, he was, he was a black man in the seventies in the South that was presented as an athlete. And he doesn't get enough credit for that. You know, now was I, I'll be honest, was I as big a fan of Rocky Johnson as Barry Rose? No, but I think absolutely from a historical context, those things have to absolutely have to be considered. And his book was, you know, for as controversial as it may have been for some reasons, it was an amazing biography. Yeah. And it just told an amazing story about a guy, as Barry said, that main evented every place he went. And you know what? If he wasn't any good, if he was that step and fetch it character, he wouldn't have been in the main events. He wouldn't have been getting title shots against the NWA world champion when by God, that meant something. And yes, by 1980, uh, whatever three, when he went to the WWF and got the tag team titles with Tony Atlas, he probably wasn't a main eventer anymore, but they gave him a spot, you know, as part of their tag team champions, which held a certain amount of status in the company even then. So if somebody is saying that Rocky Johnson wasn't a main eventer or wasn't a Hall of Fame guy because, well, all he ever did was win the uh, the WWF Tag Team Championship with Tony Atlas. No, he was way more than that. Anyway, I'll get off my soapbox on that. So uh, let's talk about uh, Ole Anderson. Uh, why do you think Ole belongs? So I think the question there, Jeff, is tell me why Ole doesn't belong. Absolutely. Absolutely fair. Right. Because there is, you're looking at a, the, so if I was to say that, the only thing I would say is that Ole never, obviously an AWA guy. And then he was in the South. He was primarily between the mid Atlantic, Georgia and Florida territories. So if, if there was an argument, I would say that he didn't take his career up North, the Northeast, or maybe didn't go out West to, you know, California, Texas, or something like that. But the stronghold he had on the South, it's immeasurable. You know what I mean? So between mid Atlantic and Georgia, especially, and then, you know, Ole was all part of a, uh, 
you know, TBS and, and expansion and growth and all that. And I do think what held Ole back was his personality. I, yeah, without no, a doubt. There's no question. He's the original yeah. get off my lawn guy. Yeah. You know, he's, he's wrestling's grumpy old man. He, he was that way when he was probably in his mid thirties. Uh, but while he had an absolutely horrible run as a booker in the early part of the nineties in WCW, he also yep. had some incredible runs as a booker in different territories. Uh, there was a, a point in time when I believe like in the early part of the 1980s where he was booking Georgia and yeah. mid Atlantic, you know, it, uh, it's successfully Jeff. That's yes. the part. So, yes. You know, people can talk about dusty Rhodes and how uh, dusty Rhodes was an incredible booker, but then he had this bad streak at a, if you're gonna, if you're gonna still accept Dusty Rhodes as being a great booker, even though he had that bad streak in the later part of the '80s, you got to include Ole Anderson in the same category. As far as uh, there's, there's a Barry Rose for you. Oh, I, I, thank it. you. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I think you have to uh, include them sort of in the same conversation as all-time great bookers because I think they both were. They just both had particular times later on where they weren't as successful. Yeah, look, so and in, in, I don't we should stick on topic, but you could take a guy. There are two bookers that come to mind about in later in their career. And I think these are two of the best bookers of all time. It was Leo Garibaldi and it was Louis Tillet. And at their height, these were, I think, especially which would have been the 60s into maybe up till 75 or so, 77. These were two guys that were probably two of the best bookers in the entire world. And then it towards the end of their career whether it they were out of touch I, you know i don't know what happens like i don't know why age becomes uh the issue with it you know maybe it's just getting older and maybe you're a little disconnected but they didn't have as great success later in life but for only in dusty and for a lot of guys bill watts bill watts in my opinion top five bookers in the history of professional wrestling comes to wcw and then somebody has to tell him bill this isn't 1975 anymore you know, you're you're not going to create heat with telling guys they're going to be disqualified for jumping off the top rope and all this other shit. You have to be able to invest and you have to be able to move with the times and it yeah, has and to adapt be. with the times. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Uh, there there may be a, a guy in uh, Stanford, Connecticut, who's probably one of the greatest promoters uh, of all time who may sure. be having trouble adapting with the times. But I digress with that. So. Let's talk about the tag teams that are on this list of historical performers. The Hollywood Blondes, uh, Gorbin and Goliath, and the Von Brauners and Saul Weingraf. If you're going to pick one of those three teams, which ones are you? Which one are you going with? Yeah, and, and I, I just to say, so the Hollywood Blondes, I would say, based off of length of time, I believe they had a four-year run. I want to say it was seventy-two to seventy-six. And they did work a bunch of territories. It was a great. They're one of my favorite tag teams in the history of professional wrestling by far. But I that, that doesn't you know because they are it doesn't make them necessarily Hall of Fame worthy, right? Gordman and Goliath is a tough one, and the reason I said no is because if you're outside of Mexico, Texas, or California, they really didn't do a whole lot. They had a couple of matches in the Federation in the early uh, early seventies. They had one match in Florida ever, and it was uh, in 1976 in Miami Beach against Greg Valentine and Raul Mata, which is two guys that they knew from Los Angeles. I believe they were Georgia tag champions for a small time, but there's not enough 
outside of that territory. Now, you can make a case that the impact they had in Texas and California immediately should make them in the Hall of Fame. And I'm really on the fence about that one as well with Gorman and Goliath because they really were spectacular. But the Von Brauners and Saul Weingaroff did in the early 60s to the, the late 60s, I think is almost unequaled. And this has been a big bone of contention for the older folks who are in. Uh, and I, I don't think I've ever used the word folks on this podcast. <laughs> which, <laughs> interesting Roger Moore movie back in the day, folks. folks so, with two F's, right? Exactly. Yes. yes. So what they did in the South. And in the state of Florida, was at a different level. So you took Nazis and you gave them a Jewish gimmick. You gave them a Jewish manager. And that was Saul Weingaroff. And, and they weren't Nazis. Uh, I think they were both Irish, if I'm correct, the Von Brauners. But what a way to get heat. And while that plays differently, let's say, in a small town in Tennessee, Welcome to Miami Beach, where there is a heavily Jewish population. And imagine, I never saw them there before my time, but you hear these stories. The bone of contention with the older fans of CWF is that we've been doing the CWF Hall of Fame. I haven't done it in four years because I usually get aggravated as shit by it. So Slacker, I slacker. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no, it's not slacker. It's just the aggravation. I'm like, you know, fuck this. It just gives me agita. I'm like, I'm out because nobody's ever happy at a Hall of Fame, right? <laughs> You're not going to please everybody. But the the guys who the people who saw them, the fans who saw the Von Brauners will always tell you that they absolutely deserve to be in any Hall of Fame and that they were possibly the greatest tag team. With that, they also they help put CWF on the map. You know, you look at it and there's really three teams that worked with each other, not just in Florida, but also Tennessee and also Georgia. They took this and that's the Assassins, the Von Brauners and the Kentuckians. So I think what they did, the success that they had, and the heat that they generated, they absolutely do deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Okay, last three I'll ask you about in this ring. So out of these three names, pick one. Jerry Briscoe, Buddy Colt, or Sputnik Monroe? Oh, so, and, and I love Jerry Briscoe and Jerry will tell you where, you know, Jerry was texting me two days ago. So I love Jerry Briscoe and I am going to remove him. And again, I hope that uh, nobody, nobody gets this back to Jerry Briscoe. I'd have a lot of explaining to do. I'm um, putting it on Twitter right as we get yeah, done recording. Yeah. Steve Kern's going to want to kick my ass and uh, yeah, I'm losing all my friends, but it would come down to Buddy Colt versus Sputnik Monroe. And that's a tough one, Jeff. I think because Sputnik take out, you know, I, he broke barriers. I know he did all that stuff and that's important. Let's, let's not, but he also really had an amazing career. I saw Sputnik at the very tail end of his career. I, so I never saw him during his heyday, but I've had people say Sputnik was a good worker. Sputnik was not top, top shelf. Wasn't the next level worker, but Sputnik had a great understanding of psychology. He could get great heat. And uh, I think for a lot of people, they would look at Sputnik in that regard. Pardon me. That being said, there we go. Little burps. They're a little silent. But if you ever saw Buddy Colt in his heyday, Buddy Colt was unbelievable. And there's a lot of stories. Buddy Colt would have uh, become NWA World's Heavyweight Champion. Was he qualified? Probably. Would he have been champion? I'm not quite sure. I, I think that has become an urban myth at this point, an urban legend. But Buddy Colt was the assassin 
in a lot of ways to me. I'm Jody Hamilton and ripped ripped to both those guys. And the reason I say that was there was this sinister vibe about Buddy Colt, much like the assassin that permeated everything he did, whether it was his interview style, whether it was him walking to the ring or whether it was him. And I remember one night, Miami Beach, Jeff, he was leaning on the ropes and he was looking at the crowd and it would scare the shit out of you. He didn't have to say anything. He would just stare out at you and it would scare you. He was sinister. He was scary and he would have great matches. And Buddy Colt's another guy that once he, you know, and Buddy Colt didn't have the longest career either. That's the sad part because of the plane crash that occurred in 1975. Buddy Colt's career was only maybe 10 or 11 or 12 years long max. I want to say 65, I think. I, I don't you know. know. I, I have to mention also the fact you're talking about a guy that was as sinister as Jody Hamilton on promos who talked with a lisp. Yeah. And the fact that he could convey this element of intensity and danger and, uh, you know, and anger while he was dealing with the fact that he had a, a pronounced lisp. It's, it's absolutely amazing that he was absolutely, you know, that he was able to do that. So anyway, uh, let me just, uh, I don't want to make this too long here. Let's go on to uh, the more modern candidates. So let's start off again with a yes or no. Tully and Arn with JJ. (sighs) No, it's not a Hall of Fame career. Too short. And that's exactly my point, because I think if you're going to put these guys as content, now let me just say, for the couple of years they were together, absolutely they were a Hall of Fame team. They were incredible. Yep. But, as Barry correctly pointed out, they did not last. Like, if you saw both teams, who's more deserving, Tully and Arn or the Hollywood Blondes with with Oliver Humperdinck? The 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 Blondes had a longer career and were every bit as impactful as Tully and Arn were in their run. And that's the reason I think the Hollywood Blondes deserve it more than than Tully and Arn, quite frankly. And it's no wow. disrespect meant to any of those three guys, including JJ, who was part of the act, and they were incredible, but they just weren't long enough. Okay, real quick. Nikki Bella. Come on, Jess. Uh, well, I'm just, this is the list. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, Nick, I, no. Okay. Yeah. Uh, JYD. <sighs> Tough one. And I'm going to say no. Okay. Bill Dundee. No. Uh, Edge. And I like Edge a lot. <sighs> I'm going to say yes on Edge. Okay, Charlotte Flair. <laughs> so I'm a Charlotte. I know you're not. I'm a Charlotte Flair fan. No, it's too soon. It's too soon. I, she, I saw someone post somewhere. Charlotte Flair, if she leaves the WWE and comes to AEW, would completely revolutionize the AEW's women's division. And I, I remember thinking, why? Because her last name is Flair. If her last name was was uh, you know Johnson, who would give two shits? That's the way I think about it. So anyway, uh, obviously that'd be a no for me. Bill Goldberg. Oh, absolutely not. Okay. Uh, Matt and Jeff Hardy. (sighs) I'm going to say that's I'm on the teeter on this one. I'm going to say no. I could easily be swayed over to yes. Okay. Kimala, the Ugandan giant. I'm going to say no. Rick Martell. (laughs) Where where's Christian Alt? (laughs) <laughs> Where is he? Where is he? So let me say I've softened up a little bit on my Rick Martell stance. I'm going to still say no, but I, I definitely can see this other side of the coin, but I'm still going to stay with no. Okay. On Rick Martell. Uh, John Moxley slash Dean Ambrose. Nope. Too soon. 
Nope. Paul Orndorff. Paul Orndorff, I'm going to say yes. Uh, Randy Orton. Mm. Well, he, let, he's had a Hall of Fame career in the WWE, right? He has. Okay. If you were to look at it, multi-time world champion, tag champion. He's been there for, what, 20 years, close to 20 years, and has always been a top guy for the most part. As much as it hurts a little bit, I say, I think so. I think he fits the criteria. Okay. Uh, CM Punk. Another. Hey, why are, why you're thinking? These are good. These are good. Yeah. How great was the uh, the vocal interplay between him and Eddie Kingston? They, what they are doing, first off, AEW is through the, it gets better every week. It's getting better this past. It's just unbelievable. It is. There is such an air of realism to that Eddie Kingston, CM Punk that we just, I don't recall ever seeing something like this. Like it is unbelievable. That, that is the living embodiment of what Jerry Jarrett, not Eric Bischoff, by the way, who originally said personal issues create money or something to that effect. But he was the first one, not fucking Eric Bischoff. He, exactly. Uh, yeah. Great so, Jared, Jared. I would say CM Punk on the fence. I'll say yes. I could be persuaded to go. No, though. Okay. Seth Rollins. No. Uh, let's see. Trish Stratus. No. Rick and Scott Steiner. Another tough. These are. This is tough. This is actually the tougher. That's yeah, the first year looking at the ballot, there, Mister. Uh, yeah. Archivist. Yeah. This is this is tough. I would say the Steiner brothers. As much as it pains me tremendously, I would say yes. The Ultimate Warrior. No. Okay. Uh, now, out of that group, let's see who you said yes on. Uh, well, let's put it this way. Who belongs in more, uh, the Hardys, Rick Martel, Randy Orton, or the Steiner brothers? I, again, very tough. I'm going to say the Steiner brothers based off of, well, it, so is it the Steiner brothers going in as a tag team yes. or am I looking only no. as a tag team? It says Rick and Scott Steiner, not individually. Okay. So it's not a collective of everything. So I, that I will remove them. I'll go to Rick Martel. I would think okay. out of that group, I think Rick Martel probably would be the guy. Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, Japan, and I'll be honest with you, uh, there are guys whose career I don't know enough about. Uh, so I will just throw out uh, a few names that I'm familiar with. Yoshiaki Fujiwara. I would say Fujiwara. Yes, absolutely. Kota Ibushi. Too soon. No way. Tomohiro Ishii. Ishii. I'm going to say no, but I think if, depending on what happens over the next couple of years, there's a chance of yes. Tetsuya Naito. Another good one. Uh, at this day, uh, I'll say no, but I, I, I could be swayed to yes. Kazushika Okada, his first year on the ballot. I think without a doubt. At 100%, I think the Hall of Fame was designed for a guy like Kazuchika Okada. Yeah. So, yeah. He, he is, he is next level, and uh, yep. not just because he's a draw as a, a champion, uh, but he's an incredible worker. And think about how bad. Was it TNA he was in? Yeah, they that, right. that completely screwed the pooch on this guy? Yeah, hard good to, job. Hard to believe, right. Yeah. Hard to believe. Out of the guys that are, uh, that are Mexican candidates, 
Uh, we got Los Brazos, which is Brazo de Oro, Brazo de Plata, and El Brazo. Sangre Chicano, or Chicana. Psycho Clown, who Roy Lucier uh, talks about in, in just glowing terms. But I, I'm thinking that he hasn't been around long enough. That's that's my one caveat with that. But like a guy that I know you would know, Barry, is a Pirata Morgan. Yeah, so for me, it was, if I look at Lucha, I think... I'm definitely 80s and 90s on Lucha. So Parada Morgan and Sangre Chicana, and I really liked him, uh, Sangre Chicana. This, he was a fucking wild man. Yeah. I would, I mean, Parada Morgan absolutely does believe. I, I like Sangre. I would probably have to look at more of his career to see exactly if he deserves to be in or not. But I, boy, did I like his matches. Okay, last group of wrestlers. Uh, we have uh, Spiros Arion. Um, and these are the guys from Europe, Australia, New Zealand, the Pacific Islands, and Africa. So Spiros Arion, what do you think? Yes or no? I'm going to say yes. Okay. Now, here's one that is always a controversial one. Every year it comes up. Uh-oh. Big Daddy. Shirley Crabtree. So so, in, and I, the reason it's controversial, Jeff, is absolutely horrific in the ring. Maybe one of the worst main eventers in the history of the business. But he owned the promotion and was the promoter. And to his credit, he was over with the fans. So I'll let I'll let you determine whether or not he deserves to be in, because it is a controversial one. As a worker, you, you won't see anybody ever worse. It's embarrassing. But if you're looking at what he did in England, let's be honest. Shirley Crabtree was the guy, right? Yeah. Uh, Dom DiNucci. <sighs> Big star in Australia. I mean, Much bigger deal in Australia than he was. Yeah, in one of the biggest yeah. of all time in Australia. I would say he does for Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now here's a name, Barry. I don't know if you're familiar with. I'm just going to take a shot in the dark. A killer Carl Cox. Yeah. So again, I'm completely biased with this. I would say, yeah. And I'm, and I'm going to state why, besides the fact he's one of my favorites of all time. Killer Carl Cox looked like uh, your grandfather the day he was born, right? So he was never a guy that was ever in great shape or had a full head of hair and killer Carl Cox. And we talked Len Denton. We were talking uh, about Cox at the fan fest. And uh, I believe he, he even talked about him during his one man show. And he said, I killer Carl Cox might've been the greatest professional wrestler of all time. The criteria was with Cox. And I've stated this before. He could mix comedy with intense heat, which is a really, really rare thing. You know, it's very rare that you could be a complete package and one minute he could be crazy and talking to his friend up in the sky. And the next is he's this dangerous lunatic giving you a brain buster on the concrete floor. Cox was never boring. Cox. Had uh, well, matches. and you're forgetting his baby face run as the proud American veteran. Yeah. Well, that wasn't overly favorite, but, but <laughs> right. But, but part of it was it part was. of his career though. And, and he got over. And at the end of the day, that's the reason he did it. He got over and and did it. So I would say, you know, again, totally biased, right? But yes, Killer Carl Cox. Okay, so last one in this group, I'm I'm kind of going through here just because I want to see about what you think about a comparison between these two guys. You mentioned Big Daddy, all his uh, positive attributes as well as the negative. Otto Vons. Has there ever been a bigger star in the uh, the countries of uh, Germany or Austria? ever and again the owner of the promotion so sure you could do whatever you want but he was over and then don't forget he's a former awa world's heavyweight champion so i would say if you're basing it off of off of europe yeah Otto Wands would deserve to be in okay now just to wrap up this portion of the uh, segment here 
We're now going with non-wrestlers. Now, out of this list, we're allowed to choose five, okay? The wrestlers that we mentioned before, uh, Barry and I have to choose our, our 10 guys that we think belong on there. So these non-wrestlers, we're only allowed to pick five. We'll start off with, give me a yes or no, Barry, Lord James Bleers. So I am looking at the list, Jeff. and How dare I, you cheat? Ex- well, the only reason I'm doing that is because I want to, like, I don't want to say yes or no to somebody if I can only do five. Looking at this list, yes, Lord James Bleers is a yes. Okay, Dave Brown. No. Bobby Bruns. Yes. Bob Cottle. No. Uh, Jim, uh, we already, uh, Bobby Davis. No. Uh, Joe Higuchi. Oh, tough one. No. Jim Johnston. Now, who is Jim Johnston? I don't know. And I don't know who the. <laughs> All right. Okay. I can tell you who Jim Johnston oh, is. Thank you, Lou. Jim Johnston for uh, decades was the composer of all the ring music for the WWF slash WWE. Aha. Uh-huh. And do you know who uh, the person below that is? Katani? No clue. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to pass on he, him. Lou thinks he knows everything, but he doesn't know who uh, Takaki Katani is. Okay. Next, Larry Matizek. Tough one. I'm going to say no because I can only pick out five. Stephanie McMahon. I'll say no. Uh, James Melby. That's a tough one there because James Melby falls into the historical. Uh, he was a historian for years, a wrestling historian. I'm going to say no based off of the competition on this list, but that's not to discount all of his contributions to uh, to professional wrestling. Reg Parks. So that's Reggie Parks. <sighs> or as I'm Stu gonna, called him, old Reg. I'm going to say no, but I could easily be. It's just this is tough competition here. Sure. Morris Siegel. Yes. Tony Schiavone. I'm going to say, again, tough competition, no. George Scott. So George Scott falls into the Ole Anderson, Dusty Rhodes, Bill Watts school of a guy that held on too long and was way out of touch. Going to say no, but that is a, that's a real teeter-totter right there. Mike Tanay. Nope. Uh, Ted Turner. So if the criteria is that you owned a wrestling company, then sure. I don't believe his contributions because he was literally hands-off for the most part. From everything I've read, he's like, run my company for me, you know? Yeah. So I, uh, I'm going to say, I just don't think, I, I think he's on this list because he was a billionaire. I'm going to say no. Stanley Weston. I'm going to say, yeah. And I'll tell you the reason is Stanley Weston, Stanley Weston was, was Bill Apter before Bill Apter was. And Stanley Weston was the guy responsible for, you know, there was no national television. There was no internet. He was the guy getting out wrestling information to the world. When you know, you lived in Florida, you want to know what's going on in Texas. Stanley Weston was the guy putting the information in your hands. So I'm going to say, yeah. And the last one on the list is the Grand Wizard. No, but it, if we were looking at Ernie Roth and the fact that he was Abdullah Farouk and the Grand Wizard and at times was Ernie Roth, that might be a different deal. Okay. So uh, out of this list, give me give me the guys. At, so we're talking about for what we just discussed? Just for the non-wrestlers. Give uh, me your five. Stanley Weston. Morris Siegel, Jim Crockett Jr., Lord James Bleers, and Bobby Bruns. Okay, I am going, hmm, I'm going to take a different path on these five. I'm going to go Bob Caudill, Joe Higuchi, 
That's a great one, by the way. Uh, James Melby. Um, Mike Tenay. Because I think we need to pay some sort of homage to the historians of this industry and the guys that, you know, kept that flame alive through the years. And uh, but now that I say that, since you picked Stanley Weston, I'm going to skip Stanley Weston while giving him absolutely his due credit. And I am going to put in the Grand Wizard because I think when I see the Grand Wizard, I'm not just voting for the Grand Wizard. I'm voting for Abdullah Farouk and Ernie Roth. Well, and that, so this is what I was good. So if if that's the case, and I said that, then I think this would change things. And even Mike Tenay. So there, there was Mike Tenay. Is there are two parts. You've got longtime wrestling fan and historian, and then you have got Mike Tenay, who actually was a really good announcer. And I, for the yes, life of me, don't no, why, why why he's not announcing because he was very good. It makes no yeah. sense to me. So yeah, I, I I could see both of those. Barry, we have to talk about. Our trip to lovely Lutz, metropolitan Lutz, Florida. Bustle. And Yeah, exactly. Uh, actually, it is getting a lot bigger if you saw some of the construction around the hotel. But who better to join us than our favorite guest? Oh, he's originally from Sunset Beach, Hawaii. Mahalo, my <laughs> friend. The Magnificent One has joined us, Barry. What's going on? Mahalo. What a ratings event. What a sweep stravaganza for the Arcadian Vanguard. It must be like when the fans got to witness Fonzie coming on Laverne and Shirley back in the day, you know? <laughs> truly, <laughs> practically the same fucking thing. So. Truly heady stuff for the fans Before of Arcadian Vanguard. Get... 605, breaking kayfabe with Barry and Bowdrin. No, what no, more no, do you that's it. Come on now. It's Bowdrin and Barry. Oh, no, 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 no. I heard. <laughs> the magnificent one said it. I heard it. So before we get to the, the entirety of the weekend and some of the uh, the hijinks that went on, oh, please, Howard, you have to tell us about the Denny Brown story. So I'll set it up for the good folks. Uh, I came down into the lobby, and I'm sitting at the table with Howard. Uh, we're surrounded by uh, some of the other guys, and perhaps there was somebody who may have been overserved, Howard. Please, the details. Not even overserved. The guy was doing great. As <laughs> with many of my stories, as with many of my stories, this one is like in pure Larry David style. It 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 takes place over different parts of the same day and different areas and locations and ties up in a big comedic bow for everyone to see. Okay, so I'll be as concise as I can be. Um okay. During the day, I happen to be seated next to Denny Brown with my vendor table, Hardway Art. Website's not ready, but come see me on Facebook. I will plug that later. But I'm doing the soft rollout for Hardway Art. I've got a table at the old CWF Fan Fest. And right next to me is my old squire, my old charge, Mr. Downtown Denny Brown himself. Uh, I managed Denny on a Tyree show in 1989, not because I was part of the promotion, but Tyree just let me live the dream and come on as Handsome Howard, and I managed Denny. And he was with a really hot valet that night. It was in 1989 in Clewiston. And all these years later, I got to ask him. He was actually talking about Tyree Pride, like, what are the odds? So I walked over with my phone. I go, speaking of which, here's me managing you against Tyree in 1989 Clewiston. Blah, blah. We had a little conversation. He was pretty cool. So we rebond over our 1989 thing. And as a running joke, I'm like, hey, I've been managing you for 40 years, blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. And um, then later on at night, 
we're outside um, enjoying all the lush flora and fauna in Tampa. A lot of nice foliage surrounds the building and everything. So we're all outside admiring things. And Robert Gibson's out there. Danny Brown's out there. And, and Keisha Davis, I believe her name is. Is that correct? Do you guys That's, know her? Yep. Yeah, Keisha. She was out there. She yep. had the sweetest Southern accent. Talk about like 1985 Missy Hyatt. Like, oh, Handsome if, Howard. If, Come if over here, act- Handsome Howard. Please, Handsome right, Howard. Right, exactly. So she... Yes. So she said everyone's name in a, in a full. She's like, Robert Gibson, you come over here and have some of that Domino's. <laughs> so, but she had a really cute voice. I got to say, yes. she should really like call Adult Swim while Squidbillies is still on the air. Anyway, and that's not a diss. That's like, she'd be perfect. But anywho, I digress. Denny Brown's. Denny's sitting there and I'm like, hey, Denny, you want to smoke a little weed? He's like, I can't smoke weed. I get belligerent. I'm like, that's unheard of. Nobody gets belligerent. It calms you down. He goes, no, 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 believe me. And he was fine. He was a dick to me when I saw him in 09 Charlotte. I go, Denny, I managed you. And he was hanging out with Robert Gibson at that time, if if memory serves. And he's like, I don't care. And he like he totally blew me off in the in the hallway of the hotel in Charlotte. But I gave him another shot. I'm like, Denny, I managed you. So this time he was cool. And he even said, after I got on a roll out there, he's, he's like, see, I needed a guy who can talk like you. That was one of my weak points. I'm like, wow, we're getting into some real stuff now. He's like, that wasn't a great time for me anyway, like 89. I'm like, well, it's understandable, whatever. We're all, he's funny. He's actually putting me over. Goes from blowing me off to putting me over in 12 short years. So then he smokes a little weed. Not mine, mind you, just somehow. Really, honestly, folks, it wasn't mine. I wasn't the only cool one there. <laughs> anywho, <laughs> anywho, he starts getting belligerent. I go, Denny, as your manager, I warned you. He's like, ah, you know, the equivalent to fuck you. And he walked inside and I didn't see him for a while. So he's sitting inside. And after a while, I make the rounds. I go inside and I see my friends, the great um, Ben and Kelly. Coolest young couple there. Uh, another one of the cool inside crowd. And they witnessed the following exchange. Like Denny is sitting there all pissed off. And I'm like, Denny, you're re- you resemble uh, Robert Blake in your waning years, which he does. Same hair. I mean, he looks good. He's 65 and he really looks good. He looks like me and I'm 10 years younger. And he's like, Robert Blake, what do you know about Robert Blake? So we're, se- we're separated by this long, long table. And he's sitting down in the lobby, like 10 feet away. And uh, so I edge over to his side so I can communicate. And I go, what would you like to know? Beretta, he goes, earlier in cold blood, earlier. Mickey, Mickey Gubatosi and the Young Rascals or our <laughs> gang, if you will. No. Now you listen to me. This is where it gets ridiculous. He's like, if I tell you new information that you don't know, you're going to pay me 10 bucks and vice versa. And I go, I'm not laying down a gauntlet to you. I'm merely being friendly, discussing uh, pop culture movie, movieana here. There's no reason for this acrimony. And Kelly's cracking up. And I'm like, are you people witnessing this? Is this me? So he gets insistent. And I didn't even think I had any money on me. So I tell what I tell the hobos around Hollywood, like, well, unless you have a credit card swiper, you're out of luck. But I happen to have money on me. I didn't realize it. And I, probably like $111 in crumbled up bills. I'm like, okay, tell you what. Cash on the barrel head, $700, plop. And he moved across that lounge like a jackrabbit. He was up in two <laughs> seconds. I, I, snatched, I snatched my money back, 
and I have, and when he went up to the to the room, that was the end of that. The, the oh no no no, but but the punchline, the punchline. I go, I go, Danny, doesn't have to be like this. I've been managing you for forty years. We can't have it end like this. Like like I really, you know, like I really have this history with him. I'm totally joking. And he goes, dude, it was one match. <laughs> <laughs> Ta da! Thank you, folks. Oh. Uh. So Howard, had you weed, that is weed intolerant Denny Brown. Had you <laughs> had you character. ever Yeah, had you ever met Ben and Kelly before? No. Great people. So oh, I, I was thought you said Den and Kelly. I thought you said Den and Kelly. I'm thinking, what? Is that a hot oh. new indie talent? No, no, no. No, but they're great guys. Yeah. It's nice to have some decent uh, folks up there in Tampa. Absolutely too. And I was thinking today because uh Pete Letterberg wasn't at this past event as he had to deal with some things, and we've all known Pete for 30, 35 years. But uh, I was in Jeff and this was I was trying to think who has been at every event with having seven events. Obviously, you and I have been at every one. Penzer's been at every one. Ben and Kelly. Have that was been nice of him to be at every one. Well, and, and the truth is, we can debate whether he was even at the last one. That's well, kind of that whole. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so how very. The opinions do vary. Howard, how was it for you, your first experience at a CWF Legends Fan Fest? And uh, I know we've been trying to get you for the last three and four years to come up. You finally made the trip. How was the overall experience for you? I personally had a ball. I'm not your average Joe. Your mileage may differ from what I take delight in. But if you guys are, you know, when it comes time to eat, you guys might like one thing, but there's sushi there for me because I'm a prima donna. But no, but hobnobbing with everybody into the wee hours from the early morning until the wee hours is nothing but camaraderie and conversation. And, um, you know, I've heard about enough wrestling talk in my life, but it seems to be de rigueur. But there's plenty to talk about if you don't want to talk about that, because people come from all over and everyone has a rich, diverse lifestyle, made a lot of cool friends and bonded with a lot of cool people and compared wrestling history from all. And not to mention the the fly in talent, too, because we had the legendary Jerry Jarrett there, uh, Rock and Roll Express. So, you know, overall. People seem to love it. I have my own reasons. You know, it's local to me. It's not a hardship to be there. I know I already know everybody there. But from the point of view of somebody that might be coming across the country and have reservations, it's the perfect bonding site. It's like it's it's uh it's just what you've been looking for. Me personally, I loved it. I had a ball every minute that I was there. There was all my boxes were checked. Except so, I didn't get to go to the Odyssey with with Phil. <laughs> well, we we'll get to that story in a that. second. But one of the things I liked is when uh, Jerry Jarrett was doing his Q&A session. And, you know, it's something that Barry and I talk about is, you know, these guys, they do these fan fests. I'm going to be nice and say a minimum of two or three times a month on the weekends. And, you know, they probably get asked the same questions that everyone. Right. And so I like to see when people offer different questions that, you know, that they're not used to hearing. And so I really appreciate it when Howard was there with Jerry Jarrett and who was the guy you asked him about? Well, actually I, I came in late for that and I just sat there quietly, but I asked Ricky Morton about no, no, no. Um, Memphis. You... Ma- oh, it was Ricky Morton. You asked him about anything, the guy? I? I, asked, I asked him about guy coffee That's and uh, buddy okay, Wayne. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I'm sorry. yeah. Yeah. Which he but... thanked me for. I got in the elevator with him and I, I just got to uh, interrupt because he said something really cool and Southern to me. 
and I was getting on the elevator with Ricky and we stopped at his floor and I was telling him a story about how Lance put him over in 85. And I go, I'm the one that asked that question about Guy Coffee and Buddy Wayne. I go way back in Memphis. And he goes, yeah, you did. So. <laughs> I thought that was the nicest way of acknowledging that. Like, yeah, you did. Yeah, no, and, and honestly, you know, I asked uh, when, when I started off the fan fest, you know, the, the Q&A with Robert and, and Ricky, and I asked him a question about his dad and, and you know, what right. kind of influence his dad had on him getting in the business. And he like looked over and he's like, wow, that was a really, that's a really interesting question. And then I asked Robert about his older brother and he told a story about his brother uh, getting put over by Bobby Shane when he was like a 19 year old kid and Robert Gibson right. like started choking up talking about his brother. So, you know, the reason I bring this up is, you know, here Howard asked a question about guy coffee. How many times has Ricky Morton or, or one <laughs> exactly. of the guys been asked about guy coffee or buddy Wayne? Don't throw the right. same friggin' questions at these guys, you know, Barry, Thank I mean, you. ask him something different. Well, and that, and that's something, Jeff, well, you know, I can't, I can't take all the credit. Neely had a really good question. I can't remember what it was. I think it was during, yeah, it was rock and roll express. He asked one of the better questions that night. You were busting on him though, Howard. I, I forgot what the question was, but you were like looking at him. <laughs> we're going to pretend, we're going to pretend this isn't funny now. Okay. Neely <laughs> yes. stands up with a bag of beer and he goes, Ricky, and it's like, okay, the backstory to this is it wouldn't even be that funny or anything, but I was waiting for it to wind down because I'm not going to shit on the arroz con pollo because apparently the chef already did. There's a place you can edit it if you want to. I got to be me. And I went, and, and me and Adam, me and my idol, Adam Turkel, were going to go for sushi after the, the Ricky Morton thing, after the Rock and Roll Express thing. So we're trying to wait for the food portion and the interview to be over so we can eat because we were both starving. But we wanted to hear what rock and roll had to say, so we're sticking it out. And at the end, it's like the student who asks a question at the end, like, are we going to have any homework or what? So Neely stands up, and he goes, do you remember – I don't really do it, Neely. Do <laughs> you remember when you guys were the best tag team in the world? <laughs> I'm sitting right next to him, and I'm dying of hunger. He goes, do you remember when you guys were the best tag team in the world, and you were in the main events? And it was 1985, and you were working the midnights. Did you know you were good at that time? <laughs> it's like it's like Ricky, it's like Ricky Gervais with one of his foils. I go, did you know you were good? <laughs> and it, like it came out of me, like air leaking out of a tire. I couldn't even. <laughs> well, <laughs> and you what you, you what you compared it to was the the Saturday Night Live skit with Chris Farley and Paul McCartney. What when, when, when he said. <laughs> How great those albums were. That was awesome. Right. Remember that time? You were the best in the world. <laughs> Did you know you were good at singing at that point? And just to touch on a couple of things, Nilly. Howard, you were right. So it was the first time we ever went with the Arroz Campoyo. And just to change it, it was Arroz Camboyo, if you know what that is. It it sucked. Aye, uh, aye, aye. Yeah, I, wasn't, always, I wasn't taking any chances, buddy. No, I don't blame you. We've always done barbecued uh, pork, I believe, previously. That actually was pretty, pretty popular. I think we're going to go back to that next time. Howard, I have a regret from this past uh, event was that I did not get one of your Hardway Art posters autographed. And uh, I think, you know, you left. I didn't get to see you on Sunday, and I didn't get one of those. How could I get one, but how could our listeners also get one of these posters? Oh, that's a really, really good question. That's what we try to ask that. that. Okay. So, 
And by the way, I'm sorry I forgot to give you one of those, and it is on the way. I just came from Uline today where I'm looking into packing uh, supplies, which is the exciting part of the industry. But folks, for those of you who didn't see it and who might not be aware of it, we did the Hardway Art Soft Rollout at the CWF Fan Fest number seven right there in beautiful Lutz. And I, for the occasion, handcrafted some of my remixed, remastered favorite photos with the emphasis being based on who I am, who I was with, and where we are, Hardway Art, The Badass Wrestling Photography, Volume 1, Series 1, 100 limited edition signed, numbered, autographed prints featuring one, two, three, four, five, six of my favorite photos, an old school icon right in the middle of it for you. And I am going to share the link with you guys on the B&B page, if that's all right with you guys. In the meantime, I'd be honored if you would friend me on the Facebook. Easiest way to reach me until the website is done, which will be short. Early 2022, swear to God. Early 22, hardwayart.com. Right now, hit me up on the Facebook, Howard Baum, H-O-W-A-R-D-B-A-U-M, and Hardway Art, no dash, Hardway Art on the Facebook, and you can at least keep in touch. I'm going to be... Um, promoting these posters. There's only going to be 100 available total. I'm not going to disclose the amount that are remaining, but you don't have all the time in the world. You have some time, but not all the time, so don't kick yourself. This is number one in a series, and it's never going to be repeated after these first 100 sell. So I'm going to put a link up there, and you can reach me at those places. And I really appreciate the opportunity uh, for letting me announce such. So, Howard, uh, just to wrap up this segment, you also told me a really funny story about uh, you visited a, a certain uh, le- not just one, uh, two legendary establishments in the uh, Tampa Dale Mabry area. Why don't you tell the Why don't you tell the folks about your visits to those two legendary establishments? Because if there's one thing Howard uh, is known for, other than uh, being a pro wrestling photographer, uh, it's uh, well. By the way, I, I should mention because I never said this. Howard, the photographer at my second wedding, Barry. Oh, whoa. oh my God. <laughs> I never heard that before. <laughs> so, oh, anyway. By the way, you know, I, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry about that. Sorry how that, uh, you know, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Not as sorry as I am. But anyway, um, tell us about your visits to these fine no, establishments. Okay, well, well, of course. On brand, it's another Larry David story. How crazy is this? I'm rolling into Tampa. I was making really good time. I said, you know what? I'm going to go to the old stomping grounds right there on Dale Mabry in beautiful Tampa. Uh, And I am going to see my old friends at uh, Mons Venus and the Odyssey 2000. So I pull up there and I smoke myself a bowl and I saunter on in there to the Mons Venus and there's a big sign there. It says five o'clock. It's five o'clock and it says new hours. And there's like two cars in the parking lot. I'm like, well, this doesn't bode well. I don't know what happened in the interim, but this is not good. So then I stroll over to the Odyssey as one does. Now, there's a part one to this story, which goes way back, which in part one, the Odyssey is known for their their luxurious spaceship, which is known to all Tampa people and leches worldwide. And it's the spaceship. Their their come on in the old days used to be come to the Odyssey and blast off in the spaceship. So when we all went to the spaceship like 30 years ago, um, I went up there and they let you pick your own music in those days. It used to be 
on the jukebox. So famously, I picked Cashmere, knowing that it was an 11 minute song. <laughs> Unfortunately, they didn't have the 30. <laughs> Unfortunately, they didn't have the 32 minute days to confuse from uh, Nebworth, but. Uh, I digress. So it's 11 minutes and I'm kicking back. This girl doesn't know what she's in for. Halfway through it, she's like, this is a long song. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I don't know what goes on. Fast forward four months later, I walk in there. I'm like, cashmere, please. And they're like, oh, that's two songs now. They got me. Oh, I was the Rosa Parks. I was the Rosa Parks <laughs> of um, cashmere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Rosa Parks of pro wrestling. Now, I now. made, I have, I have made change in my lifetime. I have made change. So then, okay, so this is nuts. Like, what are even the odds of this? Now we're back to the present day. I'm outside, 2001, probably 25 years later. I haven't been there in a good 25 years. I lied. I was there in 05, so close enough. It's enough time. Um, haven't been there since 05. With curiously enough, Robert Gibson. And Semu, but that's a whole nother story. You guys will have me back once you see the ratings. <laughs> okay, so present day. And I'm like, well, this place is not looking too great either. Barely any cars, five o'clock on a Friday, prime party time. And I'm like, well, I got to take a picture of the spaceship. Now that I talked about it, I'm going to make it my profile picture or something. And um, so I'm, I'm walking around the building trying to look for the best angle to take the spaceship. And I'm taking all the pictures outside the building and stuff, walking around the whole perimeter. Then I finally go inside. And um, this girl, it's like she's behind a plexiglass thing. And it's like, cover, $25. And I go, hmm, you guys have a cover now? And I'm not going to bury the joint because, as we will see, we're in good with them. But they're like, she's like, no, it's $10 during the day. I'm like, uh-huh, but you don't have alcohol, right? And um, no. I'm like, hmm. Let me just talk to my people and I'll be right back. So I left. Now I get to the hotel. Barry tells me, oh my God, the manager of Odyssey is one of us and we're probably all going to go this weekend. I go, you're not going to believe this. I was just there today and I didn't go in. Then I'm on the elevator with this guy and it's Phil before I knew it was Phil, our buddy from the Odyssey. And I go, Hey, man, I don't want to um, stereotype myself, but I go, I mean, he looked a likely sort. And I think he I think I did know he might have been the guy at the time. I'm not quite sure about the, uh, the time frame on this, but I'm like, hey, man, are you into weed? And he goes, eh, I'm more of a PS24 man or PS4 man, whatever <laughs> the shit is. He didn't he didn't know what I was talking about. I didn't know what he was talking about. So later that day. We're all smoking and drinking at ringside, hanging out outside. And Phil starts telling this story. He's like, that was you? I saw this creepy guy on the monitor system walking around, taking all these pictures. And then he didn't even come in. So, like, what are the odds? I didn't even know he existed. And then he saw me being a big creep by the, by the spaceship. So that's that. And we should say, Jeff, I do. I think Phil, we're talking about people that have been to every single event that we've done. I think Phil is one of those guys, real, a real great guy as well, but a real solid supporter of what we do here in Tampa, too. And, and perhaps we can get uh, the uh, the Odyssey uh, to uh, to sponsor uh, the fine podcast here. We'll have to reach out to Phil about perhaps that. Uh, but anyway, Howard, as always, mahalo. Always good to have you on the show uh... and on any Arcadian show, my friend. Ah, uh, well, thank you guys. And by the way, if the young Howard can see me now, friends with the manager 
of 2001. Did we ever think we'd see such a day? <laughs> it's like I a would dream truly come have had a, I would truly laugh at your face if you would have told me in the 90s that you would be friends with them. And Phil, sorry for the slight shitting on, but you know I love the Odyssey. So Barry, let me just say one thing that I love about our Facebook group, uh, Breaking Cafe with Bowdrin and Barry. And if you're not a member, as Barry always says, why aren't you? So what are the odds, Barry, that of all the people that we have in the group, we have nice people, uh, we have uh, sketchy people, I'll be nice. Uh, <laughs> we don't have any assholes, though, but we nope. have people We have people who have uh, darker senses of humor. We have people that uh, have that 13-year-old boy sense of humor. We have good people, bad people. We have ladies in the group. And for the first time, Barry, I found out we have multiple pastors. Like, yes. who knew? Who knew? So- First of all, I want to give a shout out to our man, Jeremy Marshall, who apparently recently lost his job as a pastor. And where did he go to uh, to discuss the situation and uh, go for support? He went right to the Brothership, Barry. Yeah, so when I saw that, too, and I believe Ron Wayne Gamble was the other, and he also coincidentally was public last year that he was relieved of his duties I think it changed the direction or whatever it was. So interesting. So first off, the first thing, when you look at some of the content posted, you don't expect maybe that pastors are going oh, to be, right. they're going to be in a group where it's this type of content, but to hear, cause you get a little glimpse of the inside workings of the churches. And uh, I believe that uh, pastor Jeremy Marshall was relieved. And I believe his quote was they're going in a different direction. Yeah. So, what what what's a different direction at church? Like, how how does that work? <laughs> right. True. So, and you know, I'll be honest. I uh, you did not mention my friend, uh, brother Jeff Steele, who oh, has, I didn't has, know. Is he pastor? Has, oh yeah, has been a pastor uh, for a long time. And oh. I actually reached out to Jeremy and mentioned Jeff, and I put the two of them. Uh, uh, they spoke uh, on the phone today. Uh, you know, Jeff offering him some words of support and and stuff like that. But I, I just think it's interesting, Barry, that. In our group, for all the stuff we do that is, you know, right there, you know, on the cutting edge of of being very dark humor, we we do the uh, the boob shots and stuff like that. We also have pastors in the group, for God's sakes, you know. I, I really think it's an interesting dichotomy of all the different ranges of fans that we have, all drawn together by pro wrestling. Like, who would have figured it? Who would have figured it? And again, we it was such a great glimpse. This was the largest brothership turnout ever. And I, as I sat there and I forget who I was and we were all kind of under the influence to some degree the entire weekend, but we were talking, is there another podcast out there? And I'm not just talking about, you know, something on the Arcadian bank. I'm talking about, is there another podcast out there that has seen such a large group of its listeners come together? And then somebody brought up Starcast, which was put on by Conrad that that might've been, but I don't think you had nearly the camaraderie because first off, Conrad isn't out, you know, drinking with the people that attend these things either. Conrad's in the back counting his dollars. You and I are front and center. Well, we had one person at the fan fest that was uh, out front counting his dollars, but that's another story for that's another story. Yes, it is. It certainly wasn't either you or I, but yeah, but it it was really something to see. And uh, it is and the interesting part, Jeff, if you really look at at who we had at the fan fest this past week, 
I'm essentially in sales, right? I have been. I Jeff, I was a restaurant server and manager. Both. Both for quite a few years. You worked in the county courthouse. There were lawyers there this past week and multiple lawyers, actually. And there was even a doctor. And let me tell you a quick, funny story about the doctor. So we did Thursday night. We're all sitting outside of the hotel. We love the hotel, by the way. I'm still there. We're recording this episode. I'm in my room, the same room in Lutz. Remote uh, locations, but still, Barry, we have not missed a week. It, we will never miss a week, Jeff. We will make this work. So we're sitting outside and and we're all talking about Friday and what we should do. And some people said that they actually really enjoyed the wrestling event that we did prior to the last fan fest. We didn't do it. And I said, should I try to get a talent here tomorrow night? And everybody said, yeah. And I said, would everybody chip in maybe 10 bucks? You know, nobody had an issue with that. So sitting outside by the fire pit, pick up the phone, call Fonzie. Fonzie's like, daddy, I'll be there, daddy. No problem. And uh, lo and behold, Fonzie shows up, holds court Friday night, booked on the fly. And then we go out and we drink with Fonzie. And uh, and then he actually came by the next day. But as we're in this room with Fonzie, where Fonzie is answering questions and just generally bullshitting with people and having a really good time, a very well-dressed man walks in and he walks in. He's got uh, a pants, jacket, tie, a pair of, uh, of boots. And uh, I was like, fuck management's here. Like we're in trouble. Cause we didn't, we didn't have the room booked that night. Right. That's the other aspect. We just took over. There's 50 people in the banquet room that we didn't supposedly didn't have access to. So I'm like, shit management's here. So I get up immediately and I'm like, sir, you know, how can I help you? And he said, Oh, I'm, I'm Philip Kahn. And Philip is a member of our Facebook group. And, uh, once he said it, I put, you know, his profile picture, uh, I was able to match it up with the person standing in front of me, but he's a plastic surgeon, came in all the way from, I believe, North Carolina, uh, also had his mother with him, which I just thought was great. I love, you brought Mrs. Bowdrin, which I love. Frankie Seacrest, a very good friend of mine, brought his wife. Obviously, we talked about Kelly uh, and Ben. Kelly's been at every event, but I love the fact that spouses are coming and, and not having a bad time. That's really the key there, you know, because if you don't embrace what we do, which and take out the wrestling part of it. But if you don't embrace the camaraderie and the socialization and the partying, that's where you're missing out. And, uh, you know, I got to say your wife jumped in. Frankie's wife jumped in. Kelly. I mean, Kelly is literally always, you know, always all part of this. So this was my favorite fan fest, Jeff. And so, I will say that. And it, so it's I not because of the wrestling. So I got to I got to tell you a sure. funny story that I just uh, I just remembered as you were talking about having the spouses there uh, and the socialization that goes on. So I, of course, was uh, lucky enough to have uh, Barry provide me with a, a vendor's table. And uh, I was uh, selling some uh, some books uh, that I've written. I was selling some of my older magazines and uh, uh, the Bowdrins had a very nice weekend uh, financially because of uh, all the people. And I want to say how appreciative I am of you coming over and uh, uh, choosing to uh, purchase my book, either one of them, uh, some of my magazines that I had going back to the 60s and 70s. It was very nice of people. So I'm not going to mention the name of the person, okay? We have an individual come over and is like uh, looking at uh, my my two books. And the person said, you know, I really got to get this book. I really got to get this book. And I went, well, yeah, I told him the price and stuff like that. I said, uh, I'm happy to uh, to sign it and, and write you a message if you'd like. Yeah, okay. And they're holding the book. They're holding the book. 
and they put the book down. And then I will say this is towards the end of the uh, part of the, the fan fest where people are hitting the vendors tables and, and getting the pictures with the, the wrestlers and that kind of thing. And so the person turns and walks away. They don't buy the book, but they were, they were looking at it and saying how they got to buy the book. Right. Person walks away. The uh, esteemed Mrs. Bowdrin turns to me and looks, and let me just say my wife, everything she knows about the wrestling business, she's learned from me pretty much. Okay. She looks at me and she says, that person was totally expecting you to give them a free book. And I laughed and I said, Mrs. Bowdrin is learning how people try to work one another. (laughs) (laughs) But that person's uh, attempt did not succeed. (laughs) They did not get a freebie. But I thought that was pretty funny that Mrs. Bowdrin had picked up on that. So anyway, Barry, that being said, I do believe before we do the go home, you have an announcement regarding hmm, June 4th, I believe. June 4th. 2022 this being and it really this was my favorite fan fest and it it wasn't about the wrestling which we've all we've all we're all saying you know a lot of that that it really was about the fact that you've got a hundred brother shippers and a hundred really cool people all in one location just having fun and uh everybody was saying when you do the next one i'm going you know chris aha i'm going to bring my wife next time and chris who came with two of his kids he's going to bring his third so at the next one but you know even travis is talking about bringing his wife and his his daughter to the next one so Literally that night, we went over to uh, Glory Days. It's Saturday night. The event has been over for literally an hour, and we had already booked demolition that night for the next event. And that was a big deal. And whether you're going to get demolition, whether you're going to get Crusher Khrushchev and the Mass Superstar, Bolo Mongol, you know, Repo Man, all the gimmicks, all of it, they're willing to do them all for us. And uh, we went out to dinner on Monday night. It was myself, the Penzers, and Neely J. And Neely sitting across the table, Neely looks over and Neely always goes, what about Les Thatcher? And then I say, shut the fuck up, Neely, because he's must have asked me 20 times about Les Thatcher. But then he says, what about Medusa? And I look at Neely and I was like, shit, that's a really good idea. Penzer sitting right next to me starts texting her. He has her number. And with within 24 hours, we have Medusa, Alundra Blaze, uh, the former Mrs. Eddie Gilbert will be at our next fan fest. So those are the first three names. It is June the 4th, 2022. We are right back at the Marriott residence in North Point, cold sun, you know, that whatever, whatever. Sun Coast Highway. Sun Coast Highway. And uh, super excited. I wish usually after an event, Jeff, I uh, I'll break kayfabe. I go through a little bit of postpartum depression in a sense. In the sense that, you know, people plan a wedding and when the wedding's over, sometimes you're like, shit, that's been such a big part of my life. And obviously with having a baby, and I know some of that's physiological as well, but I always get a little, you know, that the next Sunday, I'm always a clamped. Is that what you're trying to I'm say? Verklempt. Um, you know, exactly. I'm, I like that you're bringing out the Yiddish, but this one, because we were right back in the saddle and I'm so excited that yes, June the 4th, back in the same location, ready to go. And, uh, I couldn't be any more excited. Make it happen now. Barry, I will now break kayfabe to you because you don't know that last evening, the esteemed Mrs. Bowdrin and I booked our reservation 
for the uh, uh, the Marriott Suncoast uh, Highway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, whatever. But yes, we will be there. Well, I say I will be there. Mrs. Bowdrin's appearance uh, is dependent on some variables, but uh, I have made the reservation uh, to attend. Uh, uh, this will be FanFest, was it uh, 28, uh, 29? FanFest, yeah, I wish. It's FanFest date. And, uh, of course, we were cheated at it last year where we would have been able to, uh, the number would have been higher. But, uh, you know, the beauty of it is, Jeff, we start, it's kind of like the podcast, right? When you stop and think about it, we didn't, and I should say you, because you were the originator, you didn't have a clear direction. You had ideas, you knew what you wanted to do, but, you know, as things built, it was kind of organic. This became what it is, right? Yeah. Sandfest was the same way. We we knew we were going to put people where they could do Q and A's, but we didn't know it was going to turn into what it turned into. With that, because of the podcast, because of the fan fest, I know personally I couldn't be any more grateful. So, real quick, I do want to mention uh, a couple things uh, about uh, this weekend and uh, the great times we have. Want to give uh, a special shout out to uh, Max Spiker, uh, who was at his very first fan fest. I think he's uh, he's Chris Spiker's son, uh, uncle, brother. It's a private <laughs> joke. But yeah. uh, Mac uh, bought uh, our table dinner on uh, on Friday evening, and then Saturday evening, I do want to give a mention, although he probably would not want me to. Yep. But uh, Ran- Randy, uh, tell me Randy's last name. Randy Rusk. Randy Rusk. Okay, I wanted to make sure I didn't get there because there was a couple Randys I didn't want to mess up. So Randy Rusk bought dinner for our entire table. Very, very gracious of both gentlemen. And I just want to give uh, a word of appreciation to both of you for doing that for us. Uh, it was so good. And I know you said, Barry, that Chris Spiker was very helpful to you this weekend, uh, doing some, some legwork for you. Because, folks... I know Barry doesn't want to say this, so I'll say it for him. 95% of the stuff that you see at the Fan Fest is a result of Barry Rose's hard work. He's doing so much of the legwork, and he's having to do it from Philadelphia. He doesn't live in Tampa, like certain other people may, and he's doing all the work. And I really think he should get all the credit because he really deserves it. Yes, there's one other person, maybe two or three other people that are helping out doing a little bit, but Barry is really doing all the work. So Barry, a breaking kayfabe round of applause for all the hard work you did, not on only on this fan fest, but on the fan fest before and hopefully fan fest uh, coming up in, in June on June 4th. And uh, we all look forward to being there. And on that note, Barry, you ready for the go home, my friend? I think it's time. Okay. So on that note, for our producer, the sweet man, Luke Kippelman, out in San Fran. And my uh, my co-host, Barry Rose, currently still in Lutz, Florida. He can't get away from there. It's all those days at the beach that he can't pass up. That's what it is. Meanwhile, oh, as the day we're recording this tomorrow, it's supposed to be like in the uh, the low 30s here in beautiful Oof. coming Georgia. Ugh. But anyway, I digress. So on behalf of uh, Barry Rose, I will say that uh, my name is Jeff Bowdrin. Sometimes they call me the booker. And... We are a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Almost let it slip through my fingers. Take it home, Luke.